For our reading tonight, we'll turn to Micah chapter 4. Again, this is God's holy and infallible word. And we love this word, but we want to give God the honor by standing as we heed the word of the Lord. Let's stand as we read together. If you're able, stand. We'll read together Micah 4, 1 through 5. And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us about his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. Each of them will sit under his vine tree, his vine and under his fig tree, and no one to make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Though all peoples walk, each in the name of his God, as for us, we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. Let's pray together. We ask, Father, that you would help us, guide us by your Holy Spirit and guide us by your word, that you would enable us to walk in your ways. Lead us by the Holy Messiah, whom you have already sent, the fulfillment of that great one who came to sit upon the mountain to teach your law and to guide and gather your people from all nations and tribes and tongues. For we ask all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. I don't know if I could preach through the Minor Prophets if the entirety of the Minor Prophets were all judgment. I think it would be rather weary. I think it would be very weary for you all to have to listen to to me preaching through week after week, God's judgment, God's judgment. But the wonderful news is that what we have here in the Minor Prophets, and especially in Micah, is that God spoke and promised judgment. Yes, he did. But then we hear in, in today's text a beautiful shining forth of light of the gospel um, that was foretold, the coming of the Messiah. And we'll see that in today's text. But before we look at that, let's do a little bit of review of what was going on. Uh, this is a prophecy of judgment, not just to the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom, but to both. God promised judgment to them because of wickedness, wickedness of immorality, wickedness of false prophets, wickedness of rulers. God was promising that he would plow the land, that he would desolate the land so that it would be replanted. And in light of that, uh, many prophecies concerning judgment, we get to a portion 
where God brings forth the light of the Holy Gospel. And we'll look at this under the main focus of our call to rejoice in the blessed last days given to us through Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the blessed last days given to us through Jesus Christ. We'll look at this in three main points. The first will be to define the last days. Secondly, realized fulfillment or the realized fulfillment. And thirdly, the future to be fulfilled. So today's text has things that have been fulfilled and things that are yet to be fulfilled. But let's first look at defining the last days. Look at verse 1. And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. Now, the words here, last days, um, have been known into a field you could say, a field of theological study known as eschatology. Eschatology comes from the Greek word eschatos, or last. It's a term to refer of the doctrine of the last things. Now, to clarify the definition of last days uh, from Micah 4.1, we have to do a little bit more in-depth study of what other verses in the Bible speak of the last days. Um, a lot of people would say that there's a great difference of the usage of last days in the Old Testament compared to the usage of last days in the New Testament. Uh, I would say this. Most times when you think of the word last, you think of final coming to a very end. But in this sense, last is not quite so last as you might think. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says this, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets and in many portions and in, any, in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. So, according to Hebrews 1, Jesus Christ spoke to, to God's people in these last days. So, the last days, according to Hebrews 1, began uh, over 2,000 years ago. After the opening of uh, the Pentecost sermon, uh, Peter mentioned the fulfillment of the last days. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2. Keep your place in Micah. We'll turn, we'll turn to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, let's start at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all gathered together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the house, the whole house, where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire uh, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. 
Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya and around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, They are full of sweet wine. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour. Um, That would be nine o'clock in the morning. Uh, It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, key words there, the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, According to this passage, Peter saying that the giving of the gift of tongues here in Pentecost is a fulfillment of the last days prophesied by Joel in Joel chapter 2. So here we have Language, if you look especially at verse uh, at the end of verse 19 and then 20, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. You might think this is talking about the end of the world. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord. This is the end of the world, sounds like. But this is the fulfillment of the last days in the giving of the Holy Spirit in a full measure and the gift of tongues. So, a couple of things we learned from this passage is language that you might think is the end of the world is not necessarily the end of the world, but also this is the fulfillment of the last days passage here. In these last days, according to Joel, uh, things were fulfilled, fulfilled, came to pass fully and completely in Acts chapter 2.
So when I, we think of last days, last days doesn't mean final in, in the sense that we might think. But I would say in one aspect, the last days can be viewed as the last age of redemptive history. Um, there's a mode of thinking called dispensationalism. And they would say that uh, we are not in the last age. We are in the church age or the age of grace, which one day will come to an end and it will be followed by a, a millennial kingdom, the kingdom of the millennial kingdom of Christ, which will last for a thousand years and then will follow the judgment. Uh, their understanding of that is that in, when we read about the, what we call the, the rapture or the, the being called up together in the sky in 1 Thessalonians 4, they say that's the end, the, when, during that rapture time, that's the end of the church age when some will be raptured up, but then many people will remain in, on earth and then they have this millennial kingdom. I don't know how they get that out of 1 Thessalonians 4, but we understand that when Christ comes back and, and the trumpet sounds, when Christ comes back, he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. There'll be the great resurrection, resurrection of the living and the dead. There'll be the final judgment, that uh, great judgment seat of Christ mentioned in Revelation 20. I believe it is chapter 20. And then after that, after what the events, immediately after the events in 1 Thessalonians 4, you'll have the end of the world as we know it, and then the new heavens and then the earth, new earth being recreated. Here's the problem with having a church age followed by a different age or a millennial reign afterwards is that Jesus Christ himself promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. His church will continue to persist even until the gates of hell are broken down. To me, that sounds like the church is going to be around until the end, doesn't it? So uh, I think dispensational, the dispensational view of eschatology or the end times has it really wrong. The last days must be understood as the last redemptive age of, of history, of However, there are elements concerning the last days that do point to the future still of a new heavens and a new earth. Now, there's one scholar who wrote this, and this is an important quotation here because a lot of the rest of my sermons will be based on this. There is a New Testament eschatology, both an already of accomplished fulfillment and a not yet of still outstanding promise. There is both a realized and a future aspect to New Testament eschatology. So we'll look at the rest of the sermon under these headings. The first thing we'll look at is, is the realized fulfillment. In today's passage, we have both a realized fulfillment, things that already have come to pass, fulfilled in Christ. Well, we could say still being fulfilled. But there's also a future fulfillment that is going to be very final in the new heavens and the new earth. Let's look at this realized fulfillment first. Verses uh, 1 through 3. And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. And it will be raised above the hills 
and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God, of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. It's not a coincidence that Jesus made his most famous sermon on the mount. His sermon on the mount. Uh, a lot of the Jews had given the law in, and they had distorted the law, but we could say that Jesus Christ in his sermon on the mount gave the divine, absolute interpretation of God's holy law. Jesus came to build a spiritual house and he built his foundation on prophets and apostles with himself being the chief cornerstone. It says that the house of the Lord is established on those mountains and it's built upon that foundation. Micah foretold that the peoples will stream to it. The peoples will stream to it. Now that word here in the Hebrew is goyim. Uh, the word here, goyim, could be translated nations or Gentiles. Now, uh, some Israelites, even today, I think like to use the word goyim with a little bit of disdain. Goyim. Goyim. But they probably need a good dose of Micah 4. Because in, in Micah 4, it's telling them, it's telling the the prophecy that the Gentiles, the nations, will come into the kingdom. The fact that even today, Christ's church is composed of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue is a fulfillment of Micah 4, 1 through 3, especially verse 2. Look again at verse 2. Many nations, goyim, will come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he may teach us about his ways, and we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ, I would say, is very reminiscent of what we read here in Micah. His mandate there in the Great Commission is reminiscent of Micah 4, 2. Look there at Matthew 28. Matthew 28. It says here, uh, when, when Jesus gives that Great Commission, well, first of all, we'll, let's pick it up in verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee. Where? To the mountain. Significant, isn't it? To the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. I don't know why they were doubtful. What else could Jesus have done to prove that he was God, right? Um, but Jesus said, he came up and spoke to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and uh, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. 
And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you take the Great Commission and you pair it closely with Micah 4, verses 2 and 3, there's a big parallelism there. Micah's comment in verse 5, we'll go back there to Micah. Micah's comment in verse 5, I don't think is actually part of the, the actual prophecy, but I think it's him giving a steadfast commitment that the faithful should take in light of the prophecy revealed in verses 1 through 4. Though all the peoples walk each in the name of his God, as for us, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So in light of the, this prophecy, these beautiful prophecies, people might worship other gods, but I'm worshiping the Lord God, the God of heaven. It's kind of, it's, again, it's reminiscent of what you might read in Joshua 24, 15, when Joshua said, Choose for yourself today whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers or those beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites. He says, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's look next at this future yet to be fulfilled. Again, Micah 4, 1 through 4, is not all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There are still some that will be yet future in a new heavens and a new earth. Look at verse uh, 3. And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning forks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. If you keep watching the news regarding this ongoing war between Ukraine and Russia, you realize that that day upon the earth has not yet come. And I don't think it's going to come until Jesus returns. Until Jesus returns, there will always be war upon the earth. But we're promised of a great day. A great day in a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no more war, no more death, no more suffering, no more disease, no more fighting, no more spears, no more weapons of war, but a great and new and blessed paradise. Uh, one of the closest parallels to this passage. Now, you might say to yourself, well, Kevin, I just don't see this being fulfilled through Jesus Christ. But if you look at Isaiah 11, it's very parallel to today's passage. Let's look there. Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11, speaking of this fulfillment coming through the Messiah, the root of Jesse. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor 
and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play in the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Then in that day the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. All that comes to pass through Jesus the Messiah. It's only through Jesus the Messiah and those who have faith in Jesus the Messiah will they inherit such a place of paradise where there will be no more harm, no more death, no more suffering, even in the animal kingdom. Or among men, there will be no further harm. Now, we cannot say that this is yet fulfilled, but it which shall be one day in a new heavens and a new earth. Micah 4, 4 gives us one more beautiful example, gives us one more beautiful example there of peace in these new heavens and new earth. Each of them, he goes back speaking of the Goyim, each of them of the nations, of the tribes, of the peoples, of the Goyim, along with the promised people, the covenant seed, will sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Now it's my hope that from today's passage you have a greater understanding of what Scripture means by the last days. The last days may not be as final as you thought, but there's also fulfillment of the last days that has already come to pass. We are in the last age of redemption. There will never be an end to the church. There will never be an end to the church age. Jesus Christ will reign supreme and his church will persist, persist even until the gates of hell are conquered. But yet there's things yet to still be fulfilled. There will be a day where weapons of war will be smashed and forged into weapons of agriculture. And where people will no longer train for war. But that will not to come to pass until God recreates this earth and eliminates all disease and death and dying and suffering and will gather those peoples, the peoples who have come unto Jesus Christ our Lord into that glorious new kingdom. Let's pray together. Our blessed Father, we pray that you would help us to rejoice 
that we can expect that land of peace where each of us can sit under our vine and under our fig tree, where we'll no longer have to be afraid, where we no longer have to fear death or arrows that fly by night or the bullets of war or the other weapons of war. For we long for that time when you will make a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Help us, we pray, to root ourselves in this hope and to lean not upon our own understanding, but to lean upon your holy word. We pray especially that you would help us to put our faith in this blessed Jesus Christ, the root of Jesse, the one who has promised to us to bring us into this glorious paradise. Help us not to trust in our own works, our own good works, but help us to trust in the full, complete salvation and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then help us thereby to bear forth fruit that is evidence of uh, true salvation. Help us in these things, we ask, we pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, I want us to turn to 407. Let our choir new anthems raise. Let's stand and sing 407.